Let me greet you all in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Indeed, um, as we, we, we think about what we just sang, that we should give praise to the risen Lord. Um, just even think about what he has done for us on the cross. It's something that must always bring um, a sense of, 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 of thankfulness to, to the Lord each and every day. Um, let me also say uh, something about the, the Reformation 500 um, gathering on the 4th of, 4th of November, right? Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, please make sure that you're there. Uh, make sure that we, we come together as a church family for fellowship. It's, it's outside uh, the church premises so that we can come together, get to know each other even more, fellowship with one another. And even uh, when we commemorate this uh, 500th anniversary of the Reformation, and just even to hear about it, I'll, I'll, I'll give a 20-minute uh, talk on, on, on why we celebrate the Reformation and what is significant about it. It's something that we will just look at uh, for a few minutes, and then we will um, fellowship with one another. Um, please make sure that you are there. Don't, don't, uh, I, because I know... Uh, some people will make a plan not to be there. So let us, <laughs> let us plan to be there. Let us diarize it and make sure that we are there. I want to take you today to Acts chapter 16. We're going to look at verse 11 and verse 5. We, we continue our series um, on a church after God's own heart. And today we, we're going to look at the fact that a church after God's own heart is, uh, is marked by true conversion. A church after God's own heart is marked by true conversion. Um, let me uh, read from Acts chapter 11, uh, chapter 16, I mean. Acts chapter 16, we're going to look at verse 11 to verse 15. I read from the ESV. This is God's word. Let us hear him. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Sumatris, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath, on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Theatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was spoken by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and, and stay. And she prevailed over us. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Even as we approach it this morning, we pray that you will open our, eye, our hearts to hear your word, O oh God. Open the eyes of our understanding to behold great and wonderful things in your word. 
Sanctify us through your word, for your word is truth. Speak to our lives and teach us, Father, truth that leads to eternal life, that we may honor you, we may love you, and glorify you with our lives. We pray all this in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Then the church say amen. So, as I said, we continue with our series on a church after God's own heart. And, and today we look at the fact that a church after God's own heart is marked by true conversion. The, the church is not a social club of people who, who like gathering together because they have the same political views or, or support the same sports teams. You know, we come together because we support Cajun chips or, or pirates or, or, or the box. We, 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 it is not that. We do not come together because we are people of the same nationality or people of the same ethnic background. No. The Church of Christ is a gathering of those who are truly converted and are filled with the Holy Spirit. A church after God's own heart is marked by true conversion. There are many people who say that they are saved, but their life shows, an, shows no evidence of that salvation. They claim Christ with their mouth, yet they deny him with their deeds. They, they, they profess to know Christ, but their actions uh, demonstrate or display the fact that they don't know him at all. There are those also who have misconceptions or misunderstanding about what it means to be uh, converted, what it means to be a Christian. They don't understand what it truly means to be a Christian. And, and let me mention some of these concept, misconceptions and, and misunderstandings that people have about what it means to be a Christian. And when people uh, say, I'm a Christian, this is most of the time and sometimes what they mean uh, when, 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 when they say that they are a Christian. First, people, someone would say, I am a Christian because I was born in a Christian family. That is, that is the, 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 the reason or the, 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 the proof they give the, uh, of the fact that they are born uh, in a Christian family, therefore they are Christians. But that is not true. You see, Christianity is not an inheritance. You do not inherit Christianity from your parents. And, and this is very important to parents. Let me say this. Preach the gospel to your children. Do not, do not think uh, because they, they live in a Christian family, then automatically they will be saved. Christianity is not, uh, salvation is not by inheritance, but it is by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. And they need to hear the gospel. That is why family devotions is very important, where you get to challenge your children with the gospel. Don't assume, don't assume the fact that they, they, they behave, then they must be Christian. Preach, teach, challenge your children with the gospel. Secondly, people would say this, I'm a Christian 
because I was baptized. And this is very uh, common when you, when you hear people a lot of times when, when you ask them, when did you become a Christian? And they, they think in their mind, you are asking the question, when were you baptized? And that is not the question, right? The question is, when did you become a Christian? When did you repent of your sin? And they, 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 they say, I'm a Christian because I was baptized. That is a misunderstanding of baptism. It's a clear misunderstanding of baptism because baptism does not save. Baptism is an outward uh, testimony of an inward evidence. When one is being baptized, they are testifying to the world and to other believers that I have died with Christ. That is just a, a testimony. It's a symbol. At that moment when you are being baptized, you are not being regenerated. You are regenerated first and then you are baptized as a testimony. The third reason people give of being a Christian, you hear someone say, I'm a Christian because I go to church. Okay. I'm a Christian because I go to church. Okay. Going to church is a good thing. Christ built his church uh, that we might come together to encourage one another. We might come together to hear the gospel. We might come together to strengthen one another in the faith. But if you are going to church to become a Christian, or you think that going to church makes you a Christian, then that is a very, uh, it's a misunderstanding of why we gather together as the church. It, it is the same thinking as someone who would say, I live in a garage, therefore I'm a car. That is not possible, right? Living in a garage doesn't make you a car. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Lastly, people would say this. I'm a Christian because I raised my hand and, and walked down the aisle when I was called to receive Jesus. I, I responded to an altar call. I remember I was about 12 years old and there was an evangelist who came and preached and, and I stood up and went to the front and raised my hand. But you look at their lives and, and, and I'm not saying this is, um, this could be true that God convicted you and you, 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 you went to the front. But if, 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 if you are basing your confidence of salvation on that one act, and there is no evidence in your life that you are saved, then possibly, maybe possibly, you are just confused and you are deceiving yourself. And as we look at uh, Acts chapter 16, I want us to, uh, as we look at the story of, of Lydia, we, we begin to understand clearly what true conversion looks like. Although our point will be in verses 14 and 15, I want us to consider the whole story. I want us to consider what we have read from verse 11 to verse um, 15. And I want us to see two acts of God's amazing grace in conversion. Two acts of God's amazing grace in conversion. The first act of God's amazing grace and conversion is in sending men 
to preach the gospel. In sending men to preach the gospel, we see that in verses 11 to verse 14. From verse 11 to, to verse 14, it, it says, So sailing um, to Troas, we made a direct voyage to Somatris, and the following day to Neapolis, and from, from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city, in this city some days, and on the Sabbath, uh, verse 13, uh, on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. So when you look at this account, that Luke narrates, it, it, it's written by Dr. Luke. He, he narrates this account, and we, we come to clearly see how God's hand was working throughout all these events that were happening. When you read this whole story, first, the first thing that you see is that um, God's, God was working through these events first by the Macedonian call. We see the Macedonian call in verses 9 and verse 10 of the same chapter, when Paul and others were, were, were in trust. And, and listen to what Luke says in verses 9 and 10, and as we, we go back um, a bit on, the, on those verses. He says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the, night, in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. You see, through this vision, God wanted them to go to Macedonia to preach the gospel. And this echoes the words of Paul in Romans chapter 10, verse, verse, verse 14 to 15, speaking about the message of salvation. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verses 14 to, to 15. He says, how then are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach? If they are not sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. You see, God wanted them to hear the gospel. He wanted the people in Macedonia to hear the gospel. And in his grace, he sent men to preach the gospel to them. Secondly, we see the hand of God in the event, in the journey itself. I want you to notice the journey in verses 11 and, 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 and 12. It tells us that this journey was from Troas to Philippi, which is the district of Macedonia. And it took two days to arrive from Troas to, to, to Macedonia. You see, why is this significant, you ask? Why are we even talking about the journey? Why are we talking about the trip that they took? You see, the, the normal journey from Troas to Philippi takes longer than two days. It takes longer than two days. And I want to show you. Look at what Luke uh, says in Acts chapter 20, verse 6. Look at, look at what, uh, he talks about this very same trip. He talks about the very same trip. And, and, and uh, mind you, in verse 11 of chapter 16, we see that the trip took how many days? It, take, it took two days, right? Look at here. Luke chapter, I mean, uh, Acts chapter 20, uh, verse 6. 
He said, but we sailed away from Philippi. Now they are in Philippi. They are going back. Uh, he said, we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread in five days. In five days, we came to them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. So the normal trip took five days to travel. But here we see them traveling from, Macedonia, from, from, from Troas to Macedonia in, in, in how many days? In two days. And we see the hand of God here. This is not a normal journey. It is not a normal journey that they are taking. But here in chapter 16, we see God working in an extraordinary way to speed up their journey to get to Philippi. We clearly see God's exercise of his sovereignty over creation to reach out to all those who are lost that they should hear the gospel. God is in the events and he's orchestrating everything. He wants them to get to Macedonia. You can see the urgency of the gospel that people must hear the gospel. We, we are told that Philippi was well known for its gold mines and, and water springs. And that is probably, probably why Luke says about it that it was a leading city of the district of Macedonia and it was also a Roman colony. He said they stayed in Philippi for, for some days and it was, as it was their custom, they would, they would arrive in a city and look for a synagogue. But in the city, it was different. There was no synagogue. Paul, whenever he went into a city, on Sabbath, he would go to a synagogue and preach the gospel. But in, 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 in Philippi, there was no synagogue. You see, for a synagogue to exist, there must be 10 Jewish men who are heads of household to constitute a, a, a synagogue. But the fact that there was no quorum to, to constitute a, 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 a synagogue um, shows that there was a small Jewish population in this area. When there were no uh, synagogues, people would gather outside the city um, near the river to, 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 for, for, for a time of prayer. And in, in verse 13 to verse 14a, uh, Luke tells us that on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate, of the, um, the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One of the, the women who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Theatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. And I want us to notice as we look at this passage that there is something interesting here. God called Paul and the crew to Philippi to preach the gospel. And the first people that they get to share the gospel with are women. They get to share the gospel with women. Luke focuses this account on Lydia, and he says she was a worshiper of God. And, and this needs to be explained, uh, especially, especially as we're thinking about it, because we're going to see in the account when she hears the gospel, it needs to be explained why, uh, what does it mean she was a worshiper of God. It means that she, she, she was not saved. It does not mean she, that she was saved, but that she was a follower of Judaism. She was a proselyte. She was proselytized into the Jewish religion. That she was not a Christian yet. 
In other words, she was like Cornelius in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 10. Cornelius as well is called a worshiper of God, a man who feared God, but he was not saved and he had to hear the gospel. Lydia as well had to hear, she needed to hear the gospel and God sent men who were 300 kilometers away to reach this one woman. Listen to this. It shows that there is no one that God overlooks. There's no one who is a face in a crowd. There's no one that God is not mindful of. Uh, some of you here can even tell about the time you came to Christ. You, 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 you can tell that it was when you were probably, when you traveled from where you are and went to another place, and that is where you heard the gospel for the first time. Some of you can tell that you heard the gospel for the first time over the radio. You can see how God orchestrates uh, this event so that this woman can hear the gospel. Look at Lydia herself. She was from Theatira, a place that was far from Philippi. It was not close to, to, to Philippi. And Paul was in Troas. What does God do? God brought them both in the right place. Paul to preach the gospel, Lydia to hear the gospel. It shows that God cares about each and every single individual. He cares so much that he would send someone to preach the gospel to someone who is far away. There's no one in the sight of God who, is, who, is, who, 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 who does not matter to God. God is mindful of each and every single individual. He does not overlook anyone. And let me say this to you as well. Do not neglect sharing the gospel. Do not neglect sharing the gospel with people that you meet. Because you don't know that that might be the opportunity, the only opportunity for them to hear the gospel. We must not just live our lives for ourselves. When you say you're a Christian, you are a messenger of God with the gospel. Do not neglect sitting down with someone to share the gospel. There are people that are broken. There are people that need a message of life. And you are the one who has the message of life. And do not neglect that opportunity. Look at what God does. God takes Paul who is in Troas and he sends him to Macedonia in, in Philippi. He, he sends him to, to Philippi and then to preach the gospel to this one woman. Lydia was the first person in Philippi to receive the gospel. It's, it's something that we must never, never overlook. She was a woman. That's one thing that we must, we must realize. In other words, when you look at this account, you can see that in the sight of God, women were not second-class second citizens. They were not second-class citizens. The gospel was as much for women as it was for men. Unlike the attitude of the Jewish rabbis towards women, 
This is what they believe. They, they believe that it is better that the words of the law be bent than to be delivered to a woman. But that is not what the gospel is. The gospel says grace is offered to all kinds of people. It is not limited by gender. It is not limited by nationality or skin color. The gospel does not place men as more valuable in the sight of God than women. In fact, let me say this. Anything that presents itself as Christianity but marginalizes and looks down on women as lesser than men is demonic. In the sight of God, women are as valuable as men. And, and we see the focus here. Uh, look at, look at uh, uh, the account, this account. When Paul sees that vision, what, who does he see? He sees a man calling him to Macedonia. So Paul is expecting in his mind that we are going to find a synagogue to preach the gospel in. And there is no synagogue. Because women cannot uh, 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 form a quorum that makes up or constitute a synagogue. They are sidelined by, 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 by Jewish rabbis. They are marginalized, but we see God offering grace to women. If anyone says Christianity uh, uh, marginalizes women, they don't understand what Christianity is. Christianity gives women dignity. We see here even with God coming to Lydia through the preaching of the gospel by Paul. And we see that in the second act of God's amazing grace in conversion. Let us look at the first, that the second uh, 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 act of God's amazing grace in conversion. And we're going to look at verse 14b uh, to verse 15. God's act of, of amazing grace in conversion is in opening hearts. He opens the hearts of people. Look at, look at uh, Acts chapter, 14, uh, chapter 16, verse 14b. He says, the Lord opened the heart the Lord opened her heart, talking about Lydia, to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed over us. Luke narrows his focus to one woman to demonstrate that what conversion, what true conversion looks like. Her name was Lydia a businesswoman who, who traded in, in purple goods from the city of, of Thyatira. As Paul was preaching the gospel to these women, Luke says about, about Lydia, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And we see here the first, uh, the, the first thing about conversion is that conversion is the work of God. It is God who works upon the heart of people. It is God who opens the heart. In other words, conversion is not turning a new leaf on life. It is not a new resolution that you make, that you want to change a few things in your life or improve where you see yourself lacking. 
It is not taking a 12-step plan to change a habit in your life. It is not deciding to start going to church. That is not conversion. It is not wanting to be baptized. Conversion is a complete change that happens to you by God's grace as he transforms you from your old life to a new life in Christ. It is a transformation that God works in the heart of a sinner. A sinner who is not in Christ and gives them a new life in Christ. It's an operation that God performs on the heart of a sinner by removing a stony heart that does not hear God and putting in a new heart that responds to God. And the question that we must ask is what happens in conversion? There are four things that happen that I want us to look at. First, there's conviction of sin. Then there's repentance. Then faith and fruits of conversion. Let us look at conviction. The first thing about, of what happens in, in conversion is that there's conviction of sin. When the gospel is declared in its purity, it addresses sin. The gospel shines a light on the heart. Now, as the Holy Spirit opens your eyes, it opens your spiritual eyes, he, he opens your spiritual eyes, you come to an awareness that, that you have offended God in your sin, that your sin is an offense against God. You start to see how you have continually rejected God's mercies and how in pursuing sin you provoked the wrath of God. You start to see how, how sin has separated you from God and how all along you have been careless about your soul. You start to see how although sin had promised joy and satisfaction, it only brought heartache and misery. And you come to see the truth that Solomon spoke of when he said the life of a sinner is hard. The life of a sinner is hard. And in discovering this about yourself, you come also to an awareness that you cannot do anything to save yourself. You cannot do anything to change yourself, to convert yourself. As Paul declared the gospel to these women, this is what was taking place in the heart of Lydia. She saw herself as God saw her. She saw herself as a sinner falling short of the glory of God. And Luke tells us of, of another account in Acts chapter 2 where Peter was preaching the gospel. And, and as, he, as, as he preaching the gospel, people respond to him by, by saying, uh, after, after being cut to the heart, after being convicted, they, say, they, they shout out to Peter and they say, brothers, what shall we do? This here is is the attitude of one who is truly convicted of sin. You don't only see your sin, but you also see that you cannot do anything about it. You, you also see that you cannot save yourself. You also see how your works, how your good works are hopeless. But you also see 
that there is something that must be done about your sin when the Holy Spirit opens your eyes. Lydia could not do anything about her sin. She had no ability to open her own, her own heart. She was weak in herself. She was hopeless and helpless. The scriptures clearly show in many passages about the inability and the weakness of man. Let, let me just quote a few passages to you. The scriptures tell us that man is, is not subject to the law of God and not, he cannot be in Romans chapter 8 verse 7. It tells us again that he cannot please God in Romans chapter 8, verse 8. And that he cannot come to Christ in, in John chapter 6, verse 44. That he cannot do anything without Christ in John chapter 15, verse 5. That he cannot believe by himself in John chapter 12, verse 39. That he cannot love God in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. That he cannot do good in Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 23. That he cannot yield good fruit in Matthew chapter 7, verse 17. That he cannot think a good thought in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. See, the, the, the Bible gives us evidence that you cannot do anything by yourself. There is nothing that you can do that will end you salvation in the eyes of God. The word that applies to you when it comes to ending salvation is cannot. You cannot. God must intervene. John Trapp says this. He says, man's heart is naturally locked up and barricaded against God till God, by his mighty spirit, make forcible entrance, beating the devil out of his trenches. You see, Lydia's heart had to be opened by God because she could not do it by herself. God had to intervene and open Lydia's heart to hear the gospel. There are two ways to hear the gospel. First, we hear the gospel as you are hearing me now. And then the, 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 the act of conversion is when you hear the gospel as the Holy Spirit opens your, you, the eyes of your spiritual heart. The eyes of your heart. And Lydia had to, to be opened. Her heart was opened by God himself. So when she heard the gospel, there was conviction of sin. But conviction of sin is followed by repentance. You, don't just, you are not just convicted of your sin. You must repent. It's followed by repentance. Repentance is, is the call of the gospel. The gospel calls for repentance. The gospel cannot be preached if there is no repentance. When John the Baptist began preaching the gospel... This is what he, he, he was saying in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And again, this is the same message that Jesus declared as well in, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 7, when he started preaching. He, this is what he said. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this is also a message that Paul declared everywhere he went to preach. 
In Acts chapter 20, verse 21, he says he was testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This was his message everywhere he went. And no doubt, this is the message that Lydia had. Lydia had the call to repentance. To repent is to turn away from sin and to turn to God. It's to turn away from a life that displeases God, that rejects God, that denies God to follow after God. And we see that in the church in Thessalonica. Paul says he had a report in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9 of the, Thess of the Thessalonians. This is what he says about them. He says, we had a report of how you turned from you tend to God from idols to serve the living and true God. They left their old life of idolatry to serve the living and true God. To serve God. True conversion is evidenced by turning away from sin and turning to Christ. No one can claim to be converted when their life is not marked by repentance. When there is no evidence in your life of, of, of repentance and you claim to have turned away from sin to, to serve the living God, then that is not really repentance at all. Repentance from sin must be marked by following after God. Must be marked by turning away from sin. Listen to what John MacArthur says. He says, it is impossible to look in two different directions at the same time. It is impossible that one who finally perceives a sin and Christ as they actually are should pursue Christ without forsaking sin or should forsake sin without embracing Christ. In other words, to, 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 to pursue Christ is to forsake sin. And to forsake sin is to pursue Christ. One cannot happen without the other. If, if a person were to claim to have done that, to have forsaken sin, but they have not embraced Christ, then they have lent to sin in a sophisticated way. They have lent to sin in a different way. It is only false repentance that they are talking about. Repentance is forsaking sin, embracing Christ. It's, it's, when you hear the gospel, the gospel does not only call you to repentance alone, but it also calls you to faith. It also calls you to faith. Repentance is followed by faith. And it is very important to note here that repentance and faith, are all, they always go together. Right? They are conjoined twins, and, and they cannot be separated. One cannot exist without the other. The summons or the call of the gospel is both to repent and believe. This is how you picture the two. This is how you picture repentance and, 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 and faith. Repentance is turning away from sin, right? It's, it's in the negative. It's, it's, it's a response to sin in the negative. It's, it's turning away from it. And there's the positive aspect. The positive aspect is faith. Faith is, faith is turning to God. Pursuing God and trusting in his finished work, in, in Christ's finished work on the cross, on your behalf to provide forgiveness, righteousness, and eternal life. 
You are saying, I repent from sin, I turn away from sin, and I see that what Christ has done on the cross is enough for my forgiveness, for me to live in righteousness, and for me to obtain eternal life. Richard Mayhew says this. This is what he says. He says, as the miracle of the new birth banishes the blindness of spiritual death, the eyes of the sinner's recreated heart look on the glory of Jesus and delight to find in him an utterly sufficient savior, perfectly suited to cleanse from sin, provide perfect righteousness, and satisfy the soul. Beholding the glory of God in the face of Christ, the sinner embraces Jesus with all his heart, entrusting and committing himself to all that Christ is. Thus, saving faith is a fundamental, important commitment of, of the whole person to the whole of Christ with, the, with his mind, heart, and will. The believer embraces Jesus as savior, advocate, provider, sustainer, counselor, and Lord God. Faith is the commitment of the whole person to the whole of Christ. It involves the mind, it involves the heart, it involves the will. The mind believes the truth about who Jesus is and what he has done on the cross to gain us our salvation. In other words, faith is not mindless. It's not a mindless thing. It involves the understanding of what God has done through Christ Jesus. And again, it involves the heart. The heart places confidence and affirms that what Christ has done is enough for salvation. With your heart, you place Confidence in what Christ has done. And again, it involves the will. The will responds with trust and, and personal commitment to Christ as the only hope for eternal salvation. The mind, the heart, and the will. So when, when one hears the gospel, the gospel calls when, when the gospel convicts you of sin, it calls you to repentance and it calls you to faith in Christ Jesus. But that is not all, right? That is not all that happens. You cannot say, yes, okay, I repented and I have faith. There must be evidence of what happened in your life. There must be evidence that you have repented of your sin, that you have trusted by faith in Christ. Therefore, we see the fourth thing about conversion here is, is the fruits of conversion. We must see the fruits of conversion. Look at, Luke, uh, you look at what Luke says in, in, in verse 15. He says, he's talking about um, Lydia, and says, after she was baptized, and, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed over us. From this you, you cannot miss the fact that there was, clear, there was a clear sign of conversion. She, she was baptized, and her household as well, meaning they had 
the gospel as well. It's either they heard the gospel from her, or as she invited Paul um, and, and the other guys, they, they also declared the gospel to them. Notice that one thing about her baptism, that her baptism came after conversion. That's a logical sequence, right? Verse 14, then verse 15. Conversion, then baptism. It was not baptism for conversion. It was baptism because of conversion. Right? She was baptized because she was converted. She was not baptized because she wanted to be converted. It was evidence that she was converted, not because she wanted to be converted. Her conversion also demonstra was demonstrated by good works. She opened her house for, for these men who were preaching the gospel. She, she welcomed the believers. She was eager to serve them. She, 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 she displayed good works. Her, her life displayed fruits of conversion. You see, true conversion is followed by fruits that prove that, that that conversion is true. One cannot claim to be truly converted and not display fruits of conversion. There must be some kind of change in your life. There must be a change in your heart. And one of those fruits is hospitality and kindness. We, we, we see that here. She's welcoming and entertaining the people in her house to encourage them and to be encouraged by them. And this is one thing that I, I, want, us to, to, I want to see here in CBC as well. That as we, as we continue on, let us open our houses. Welcome one another in our houses. Encourage each other. I, I cannot be a member of CBC and continue on 10 years in the church, but I don't know where you live. I don't know how you live your Christian life. Brothers and sisters, friends, let the word of God address our hearts. One of the most important things about ministering to one another is by opening our houses. Let us open our houses. I know there's crime in, in Rustenburg. But let us open our houses for one another. Let us welcome one another and, and, and encourage one another. That's another thing about, as we, we continue on in the future, I think I'm, 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 I'm leaving the notes a bit, but, but I want to say this. As, as we continue as the church, as we continue growing as a church, and, and um, one of the, the, the plans that we, we're planning with the leaders of the church is, 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 is to have Bible studies. Um, I will explain that a bit uh, in the future. Um, is, is that we, we open our houses, we come together to encourage one another to, to, to see what is happening in each other's life, how we can pray for one another, how we can encourage one another. We, we cannot be part of this community and isolate ourselves during the week. Is that clear? It's very important. One of the ministries that you can, uh, you, can, you can perform, one of the ministries that you can carry out for your fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord 
Open your houses. We see this with Lydia. When she comes to Christ, she, she, she wants to be hospitable. She wants to serve the believers. She, 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 she welcomes them in her house. They, they didn't want to. They didn't want to. You look at the passage, they didn't want to. She asked them. She, she wanted to be, she was eager for good deeds. There's there's a passage in in, in, in Titus, Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, verse 14. Paul, this passage hangs on chapter 2, where Paul talks about the grace of God that has appeared to bring salvation. And, And this grace of God also teaches us and, and in, in, in verse 14, listen to what he says about Christians of chapter 3, Titus. He says, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. Learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. In other words, listen to this. If there is no good work, logically there, there is unfruitfulness. You see that? You, you are being unfruitful. Conversion, true conversion, is, 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 is demonstrated, is proved by good works, by, by, by fruits of conversion. There must be a clear fruit of conversion. Not only in good works, but also in living a holy life. Right? Because it's possible to be hospitable when you're not saved. Your life as a whole is the whole person. Is the whole person trusting the whole Christ? Your life in holiness, your life must display fruits of salvation. In conversion, God changes the nature of the man or the woman. When you look at yourself, after conversion, living a Christian life, you can clearly say this about yourself I am not what I used to be. What I am is the work I could not have brought myself. It it, it is the fingerprints of God over my life. William Greenhill says this. He says, in conversion, wolves are made lambs, and persecutors are made preachers. Wolves are made lambs. Persecutors are made preachers. There's a clear change in one's life. You cannot claim to have been saved and not change. There must be change in your life. Peter speaks of people who were who were surprised at the at the fact that Christians were not joining them in sinful practices. In, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 4, he says, With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you. The reason that they were surprised is that these people were the ones who were once participating in the same flood of debauchery with them. They were once there. They were living in sensuality, in passions, in drunkenness, in orgies, in drunken parties, in lawless idolatry. But God changed their nature. 
Their appetites are no longer fixed on the things of the world. They are no longer fixed on sin. They are fixed on pleasing and pursuing after God. They are fixed on the glory of God. And people look at them and they are surprised. Why are these people no longer like this? In other words, there was a clear evidence that something has truly happened in these people. Their lives are changed. You cannot claim to be, to be converted, to be truly converted, if there's no clear evidence of change in your life. Struggling with anger before you come to Christ, and you continue struggling with the same anger. There must be a clear act of sanctification in your life, that there is, God is doing something in your life. If you're hearing this and you're looking at your life right now and you, you don't think that you're truly converted, this is a good time to repent and believe the gospel. It's, it's a good time to turn away from sin. Turn to Christ in faith. The gospel says that Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was raised from the dead so that we can be right with God. You can look to him today and put your confidence in him alone. His arms are wide open, freely receiving sinners to himself. He calls all who are weary and heavy laden, saying to them, come to me and I will give you rest. This is the call of Christ. The world promised you rest, but it offered you none. Wealth promised you safety, but was unable to deliver that. Sensuality promised you comfort, but it left you even more empty and broken. But Christ says, come to me. I will give you rest. Our dear Heavenly Father, indeed you are God. You are the one who opens our hearts to hear the gospel. God, may we never take your word lightly. May we, 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 may we hear you, O oh God. May we seek your face, O oh Lord. Examine ourselves. May we look at our hearts, O oh God. Lord, search our hearts. Know us. Reveal to us from your word. We thank you for Jesus Christ who, who died for us on the cross, who obtained salvation, the salvation that we could not receive by ourselves, we could not obtain by ourselves. That is why you say it is by grace through faith, O oh Lord. We thank you for this gift, and we pray, Father, if there's anyone in our midst who has not received that gift of salvation, O oh God, that you will speak to their hearts as you spoke to the heart of Lydia through the preaching of Paul. God, we pray that you glorify yourself in the preaching of your word that we may honor you as a church, as individual believers, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.